Okay. Staff, are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Okay. Well, good evening and welcome to the regularly scheduled Planning Commission meeting for Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Abbey? Here. Commissioner Busa? Absent. Commissioner Farley? Here. Commissioner McCarty? Here. Commissioner Zucker? Here. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Here. Chair Comden? I am here. Thank you. Let's move on to public communications. This is the time set aside during the committee meetings for members of the public to address the committee on planning related business other than what's on the agenda. Mr. Clerk, do we have any speakers? Thank you, Chair. We have not received any public communications. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to consent. Yes. Um, it was my understanding we do have, don't we, do we not have a public speaker for this? Okay, my apologies, Mr. Chair. We do have one public speaker for this. Here. Okay, for public communications. Welcome. Good evening, planning commissioners and staff. I'd like to speak to you about a project called Ocean Avenue Apartments that went to the DRC on August 16th. This is a proposal for a three-story apartment building in Midtown. The project will need to demolish seven existing two-bedroom cottages that are currently occupied. The developer wants to use density bonus law to increase the size of the project from the 11 units allowed on this size parcel to 19 total units by putting two very low income units in a separate ADU. The proposal that went before the DRC did not address the fact that the existing rental cottages have families that fall into the low income or extremely low income category for Ventura County. Density bonus law states that these units will need to be replaced in the new building, thereby substantially increasing the total number of affordable unit beyond the two proposed. We notified the planning department and the housing services division about these residents. I've been in contact with Leona Rollins and she has indicated that she will be reaching out to the current residents. I'm here on behalf of them to give voice to their concerns about losing their affordable cottages. I'm concerned about the homeowners who live near the proposed project who will lose their privacy and small patch of sunlight and sky when a three-story building goes up next to or behind their single-family bungalows. The Community Development Department wants this project to go to a director's hearing, even though it has many complicated issues regarding safety, density bonus law, height, tenant rights, and separate ADUs being used for the low-income tenants. The DRC was repeatedly told that the project would be heard by you the Planning Commission. I can see no reason why a project of this magnitude should not be heard by you seven commissioners. I'm hoping you will reach out to the Planning Department and inquire about being the decision-making body on this. This project is one of the first in Ventura to demolish affordable units 
while applying density bonus law. So it is a test case for our city and a harbinger for what is to come for these large residential lots in Midtown. We must get it right. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude our public comments. All right, very good. I'd like to pose a question of uh, council. Um, I was made aware of this before. I didn't realize you'd be here speaking, but uh, a letter was submitted to the city, I, I understand, regarding this issue. Um, what is the typical method by which this is reviewed? Um, I believe the letter was sent to the mayor on this particular topic. I don't know if it was received, but um, I, had, I had heard indications that it was sent. Um, and then I went back and I looked at the uh, DRC meeting uh, where there was discussion, and you were part of that discussion, Rachel, um, regarding originally it said that it was going to planning commission, then it said it would be a ministerial review. Uh, what is the process by which this is going to be reviewed? Either of you, please. This is probably a better question for uh, our community development director. Okay, very good. <clears throat> so the way that the code is written, this type of project can be reviewed at a director's hearing. It's not ministerial in nature, which means that um, there is subjectivity to the review in that there can be conditions placed upon it that aren't standardized in the regulations. Um, and there are, uh, it's, it's not just a ministerial review. It is, um, and so there is a provision that allows for the director to um, push the review to the planning commission. And I don't have the language in front of me, but we can put it up on the screen or provide you with a memo to, in, in the future to kind of update you just more generally on this topic about um, when that's happened in the past or when it could happen. And it's, it's pretty open-ended. So it basically allows the director to, um, you know, what they typically say is like kick it up to the planning commission under, um, under certain circumstances. Okay. Yeah. And I realize this wasn't an agendized item, so the discussion can't go very deeply, but um, uh, there were members of the um, DRC that expressed concern about it, the, the process that had been um, offered. Um, so I just, I, I don't know when the proper time to speak about this, if this should be agendized or if we could ask you to come back with some information at a future date. Uh, is there, a, is there a scheduled date for this hearing? There Direct isn't. Hearing? So the application is still incomplete. So we're waiting for the applicants to submit their full package of, um, of plans and additional supplemental material before um, agendizing it in any way. Okay. Is it possible for, for me to make a request that you come back at our next meeting and kind of give us an update on what's going on and any additional information that we as commissioners might might have on this particular topic? Sure, I think and we can talk to legal just to make sure that we're not crossing any boundaries of getting too ahead of ourselves in a meeting, but absolutely, and I, like I said, can speak also really generally to the process and how we got here. Okay. What comes to you and what goes to director's hearing. Okay, any further uh, questions or comments so, on that? Yeah, the final comment there is, is uh, appropriate because I'm, the process, uh, the process, as I understood, as I understand, as has happened so far, 
doesn't jive with my understanding of what should come to the Planning Commission and what is uh, eligible to go directly to a director's hearing. So, so I'm kind of confused um, and concerned about this particular project. So I would appreciate if we can have it on the agenda for the next meeting. That would be great. Thank that you. Would, that would be good. Thank you. All right. With that, we will close the public communications and public hearing on that. Let's move to consent items. Uh, approval of the Planning Commission meeting minutes from October 25th. Were there any corrections or substitutions? No? Would someone like to uh, make a motion to approve? I'll make a motion to approve the minute, minutes. I'll second that. Okay. Commissioner Abbey seconds. Let's take a vote, please. Thank you. You now should be able to enter your votes. Four votes. Consent items are approved. Thank you. Consent item number two, approval of the Planning Commission hearing calendar. Um, did everyone have a chance to review the dates and any comments on that? Yes, um, one comment. I, I have no issues with the calendar. <clears throat> However, um, <clears throat> perhaps the, the, the staff report is inconsistent with the calendar itself. Um, it says the meet on, meet on the fourth Wednesday of each month at 6 p.m., which is fine, except for the last two meetings of the year are on the third Wednesday of the month. So perhaps that uh, specifically should be called out in the memo that they're all on the fourth Thursday except for November and December. Just right. if, you, if we want to make it consistent. That's yeah. just my comment. Yeah, it's, it's a good comment uh, because... Most people think it's the 4th, which would mean the 31st of those two months. And that is not, well, December 24th. Not a particular good, good time either, but uh, okay. So can we make that uh, slight change just to be consistent? The dates are fine, just the wording of them. Yeah. Okay. With that, uh, would someone like to move to approve the calendar for next year, please? Anyone? Anyone? I'll make a motion to approve the calendar for next year. I'll Commissioner second. Farley and Commissioner Zucker. Motion to approve the calendar. We have a first and a second. You may now enter your vote. All votes have been entered. Six eyes. Very good. Okay, let's move to our formal item, uh, Project 230449, which is the Housing Element Program 15 and 19 Zoning Text Amendments. Are Good evening. Okay. Hello from the other side of the table. My name is Rachel Diamond. I'm the Interim Director of Community Development, and tonight before you we have a number of Zone Text Amendments related to programs in our um, newly certified housing element at the city, as well as changes to state law that have occurred, frankly, over the past four years. So it's really time for us to catch up and make sure that our regulations match 
what state law requires of us, and this is just some of the things that we're doing over probably the next few years as we gear up to completely redo our zoning ordinance um, to catch us up. Um, so there, we did combine a number of different programs as well as changes to state law in order to keep these moving. This is one package that you'll see out of many, like I said, over the next year or so to try to align our zoning ordinance um, with state law, with our housing element, as well as some changes related to the Coastal Commission requirements and our local coastal plan. And this is related to that as well. So rather than read all of these um, requests, I'm just gonna go through each individual one, talk a little bit about each one. And frankly, I think based on some of the comments that we received and, and I think the condition of the regulations as they are today, what we're asking for is that you continue this item and that we come back to you with um, a, a next version of this after we get your questions and comments and make some changes based on those. So the first item is related, um, comes from our housing element, and this is from program 17, which basically, oh, sorry, I'm changing it on the wrong place, thank you. Um, so the first one is related to ministerial approval that's required by AB 1397. Um, this law basically um, governs housing element regulations in the state of California, and there were a number of changes for this past cycle related to how we actually do our housing element, and more specifically, the site's inventory, which is that long list of parcels that help us plan out, okay, this is how we're gonna get to our arena allocation, right? So in this case now, the regulation states, the state law says that we have to allow ministerial approval for any project that has 20% affordable on site um, that's located on one of two places that's listed in our housing element. The first is reuse sites, that means sites that were on our sites inventory during the last cycle and are on our sites inventory again. Um, basically, this is to say that if there hasn't been um, redevelopment of those sites, that a ministerial approval would kind of help to push forward um, any sort of project on that site. And the other type of properties are sites that needed to be rezoned to accommodate RENA, and those were the sites along Johnson Drive and community college courts that you saw this spring that already got rezoned. So those sites would also be allowed to have any project that has 20% affordable be ministerially approved. Um, there's also a provision in the housing element, um, program 17, which says that we should also consider any project that has 20% affordable on site, not just sites that are on those reuse sites or sites that were rezoned. And what that would do was really heavily incentivize people to add additional affordable housing on site. As you know, our inclusionary requirements are, are 10 or 15%, depending if you're rental or for sale. And so this would really encourage someone to either double or add 50% of the affordable that they're required in order to become ministerial. And so in some cases we could have a standardized planning process to require, um, to get that ministerial approval, but everything um, that would be required of these projects is um, could not be subjective. It all has to be objective design standards and standards that we could say yes or no to. Does it meet this requirement? Does it not, right? Um, and so one of the other notations in the housing element program was to streamline the process and to make this go faster for properties that are proposing more affordable housing on site. So what we're proposing is that we would skip the entitlement process and this would go straight to a building permit. 
And effectively what that would do is allow for the streamlining and it would basically have the exact same review that would occur from planning and building and safety, but now they're happening at the exact same time. So we're able to streamline these affordable projects while meeting the requirements of AB 1397. As I said, allowing all of the 20% affordable projects to be ministerial is a recommendation in the housing element that's not required of us by state law, and I want to be really clear of that. So that's something that I'm looking for input from the commissioners tonight. Are you interested in that or not? Or is that not the right threshold? There's, we're certainly open to that since that was um, something that we're required to have a conversation about, but certainly we're not legally bound to adopt that, and I do want to be really clear about that because... I'm sure many of you are thinking that it's contentious, and it may be. Um, so that's that first um, that first zone text amendment. And these are the regulations. If you wanted to get into that, we can jump into the, the technical details. The next is uh, another type of ministerial approval. Um, typically, this is called an SB 35 project. You'll hear that term used a lot. SB 35 came into play a number of years ago and basically also related to um, excuse me, uh, our RENA requirements, basically says if we haven't met certain RENA requirements from our last cycle, that we're on the hook to ministerially approve certain types of housing projects in the city. So in this case, in the last cycle for RENA at the city of Ventura, we met our market rate requirement, but we did not meet our affordable unit requirement. So as a result, the city is only required to approve certain types of housing projects. It kind of cuts the requirement in half of the state law and says that if you're providing at least 50% affordable on site, then and you meet a very long laundry list of requirements, you would then also be ministerially approved. The law requires that we have a planning process, so we can't kick these types of projects to a building permit only, but we do. what we did was set up an administrative permit in our regulations, and it says if you meet this very, very long list of requirements that goes through requirements for the site and where it's located and what's on the site, project requirements, it does need to be a multifamily project, it does need to be a housing project per state law, and there's also labor requirements like fair wage that come into play as well. If they meet all of those requirements, then this would be something that we could administratively approve and move it forward to um, a building permit. These would also be exempt from design review. We already have a provision that says projects that state law says are exempt are exempt we went a little bit further to be really clear about this exemption. And again, all of our standards need to be objective. So if there's something that you wanted to add, as long as we make objective standards, it's something that we could put on the books. There is a reduction in parking requirements as well for these types of projects, which would apply throughout the city as well. So that's incorporated into the proposed regulations and that's required by state law. Um, the next requirement is um, kind of two pieces combined related to no net loss of units. Um, there has been a requirement on the books in the state of California for about five years that says that you can't demo a unit without rebuilding it. So you can't take a duplex and demo it and build a single family home, for example. You have to build back two units and that also applies kind of on a larger scale. If you're demoing a 100 unit building, you must build at least 100 units. Um, but the, the state law changed um, with SB 330 in 2019 that adds an additional piece to the affordability requirements, which is that when you demo a unit, you need to look at the affordability of the existing tenants or previous tenants within a certain amount of time 
and then replace those units with other affordable units should they be demolished when you when you build the new building. So, you know, I think we heard from a member of the public about this particular issue, and this is something that we're very honed in on. And I'll say it's interesting, um, we really haven't had a lot of demo of existing units for new projects in the city of Ventura. So I think you're gonna start to see this a lot more as we move forward and some of those vacant lots are gone and now we're looking at redevelopment and infill. Um, so in this case, if a unit is occupied by a tenant who, let's say, meets the affordability requirements for um, a very low, low, or moderate unit, you would replace that unit on site with a, a unit of the same affordability. These units would count towards our inclusionary requirements, though. So it wouldn't be additive if, let's say, you have a 10-unit building, every single one is affordable, um, to the, you know, the tenants meet our affordability requirements, you'd be required to build back 10 affordable units. If your inclusionary requirement is also 10, then it's this, those same 10 units apply. Whichever one is greater applies. So if your inclusionary requirement was only two units, you're still on the hook to do 10 affordable units. So it really does change not only the affordability percentage overall, but it really changes, I think, how we're going to see redevelopment of these sites. And so again, these, these are, um, they count towards inclusionary, it's not additive. We've seen some cities require it to be additive. It ultimately kills a lot of development because it doesn't pencil out. Um, so the next section is about emergency shelter parking. Um, there was a regulation AB 139 that passed during COVID related to emergency shelters and specifically about parking standards. So um, emergency shelters are allowed in certain locations in the city, and right now our parking requirements for emergency shelters are based on not only employees, but also the number of clients that are on site. And so in order to remove barriers to entry to create emergency shelters within the city and statewide in California, the state law basically says you can only base parking on staffing and that the parking can't be higher than any other use in that area. So basically we're just taking out any um, reference to clients or any non-employees related to parking. And so the parking requirement for emergency shelters would be one space per employee based on the maximum employees uh, during a shift. <clears throat> um, the next, and or not last section, but the next section is about low barrier navigation centers. These are basically like a transition between um, getting you to permanent housing. So it's kind of between emergency shelter and permanent housing, and there's resources on site that can help people actually get into permanent housing since it you know, effectively requires kind of a social worker to help you navigate these systems, right? So the state basically said that cities have to allow low barrier navigation centers anywhere where multifamily residential is allowed. So we included a number of locations in our regulations, the R3 zone, RPD, C1, C1A, C2, MXD, and HMXD, um, but there are more because we did not include all of the form-based codes. So you'll see at the bottom where we say add the following districts, we also need to include it in a number of transects in the downtown specific plan, the Satakoy Wells and Parklands plans, as well as Midtown Multifamily, Victoria Corridor Plan and UC Hansen. 
Um, Midtown multifamily, Victoria Corridor Plan, and UC Hansen are all codified. They're in the regulations, so those are part of the zone text amendment, but the downtown specific plan, Sadequoi Wells, and Parklands are their own standalone documents. So part of what we'll be coming back with is actually an updated notice to make sure that we're legally noticing that we're changing those documents as well to add in low barrier navigation centers as permitted uses in those locations. And those will be ministerial as well. So we'll have standard criteria if they meet them, approved, and they move on to getting a building permit. So those were the changes. All of these regulations are part of our local coastal program. Our local coastal program includes two documents. One is the land use plan, um, which is for the city, our 1989 comp plan, not our more recent general plan. So um, then the other piece is the implementation plan, which is basically our zoning ordinance. That being said, there have been a number of changes to our zoning ordinance that haven't been certified by the Coastal Commission. So we basically have two separate documents that operate as our, one is our zoning ordinance and then one is the implementation plan that exists for coastal properties. So we need to um, you take all of these um, changes and also apply them to our implementation plan. So the numbers, all of the labeling of all of these sections are different because it, they haven't changed the same way that our zoning ordinance has evolved, um, which was renumbered recently and is much easier to use. But it, um, in a complicated manner, we'll have to amend those two different documents in order to satisfy uh, the Coastal Commission's requirements as well. So part of this application will also be to amend our local coastal program implementation plan. So ultimately, the council will direct staff should they decide to file an amendment with the Coastal Commission. Um, for CEQA, we use the common sense provision 15061B3. Um, effectively, these provisions are already requirements today. So a lot of this is kind of an administrative task. Um, and in other cases, there's you know, certainty that these aren't going to have impacts to the environment that aren't in a positive direction. Um, so as I said previously, you know, initially we wanted to just keep this moving and, and get to council, but I think that it would behoove all of us to hear your comments, make any changes should you recommend them, and also get this into absolute perfect shape um, and bring it back to you. I, we plan to come back in January. Our December meeting is canceled. Um, and so we could say the January date, but frankly, I will re-notice it, not only so the community understands that it's coming back, but also so that we can make sure that we're legally appropriately noticing for downtown specific plan and the other form-based codes. So with that, I will open it up to any questions. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Commissioners, do we have questions for staff? Commissioner Abbey. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Jamie. Um, okay, so the first item, the program number 17, the ministerial approval for 20% affordable on reuse sites and sites to accommodate Raina on Johnson and Telegraph. Uh, you said that uh, there was a proposal to skip to entitlement process, but it was not required. So. Um, I have a general question and then a specific question about program 17. So in gen I, I would like to know when it comes back if there would, could be a chart or something that would be very clear that says for this pro item one, program 17, for item two, SB 35, SB 423, ministerial approval, 
no net loss, et cetera. To what extent are what is being proposed by staff required? It's state law, we absolutely must do it, versus what is optional? What is, it's a staff recommendation that goes above and beyond what is mandated by the state. In this entire package, I believe the only, and I can do that when we come back as well, but the only key item that's not required by state law is that allowing ministerial approval for projects with 20% lower income affordable units. Um, that's really the, the key item. Additionally, the process by which we go through this specific ministerial approval, we chose to just go straight to a building permit. We do have the option to require another permit. Um, but that state law is fairly silent on, it just says ministerial approval, both exist as ministerial approval. But really otherwise everything is required by state law and we were very limited in our um, expansion of that. Okay, uh, since this is gonna be continued, but you do wanna hear our comments now, so. If you'd like to provide them, absolutely. Um, I would like, uh, personally, I'd like to, I'm, I'm it's, Quite an avalanche of mandates coming down from the state. It makes me wonder how much local control we actually have anymore. That's a slight exaggeration, but starting to look that way. And so to the extent that we can retain as much flexibility locally, I would be in favor of that. Thank you. Commissioner Zucker. Thank you, Chair. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, one was when you say 20% lower income, um, does that, is that just low, very low, extremely low? Does that include moderate too? It does not include the moderate, so it's low, extremely low, very low. And then do we have any kind of threshold where of affordability right now, either in our, our books in Ventura or kind of the state that requires ministerial approval? Like if you have 100% low income, is that ministerial approval or is it? Um, or is there no, no threshold where it would be? So aside from these, there's a few others. And I, Jamie, did you want to jump in? Yes, one of those being SB 35. We have seen um, two SB 35 applications come through the city, one of those being the Ventura um, Vet Housing. That was an SB 35 application where they provided affordable units. So we have seen them come through, um, and there is a mechanism right now to see 100% affordable projects come through as ministerial. Um, as Rachel had mentioned, these programs were in effect years ago. So we've been practicing state law and implementing what has been passed from 2019. It's just coming through right now to codify it. Got it, great. So both if it qualifies as an SB 35 project or if it's 100% affordable, those those are ministerial. It, yeah, and it needs to meet quite a few requirements that aren't typical of every project. For example, I think the prevailing wage one is always one to bring up, that you have to meet certain requirements. So it, it does narrow. It doesn't mean every 100% affordable project is ministerial, but those that meet those really strict requirements. Okay, so if I'm, you know, uh, the Housing Authority or Cabrillo Economic Development Corporation and I build 100% 
affordable project that doesn't have prevailing wage, for example, right? then it's not ministerial right now. That's correct. Typically, those types of organizations do have those requirements because of their federal sure. funding requirements tend to, and state rec funding requirements tend to mirror that so that they can be kicked into that ministerial. Thanks, super helpful. Um, my last question is, is about no net loss. And um, I was curious, there was a project that came before us earlier this year that was, it wasn't a demolition, it was a, a, a renovation of a historic building downtown and there was basically a consolidation of units, right? I think there were a bunch of, you know, single room occupancy units that were being converted into one bedrooms. And so it resulted in significantly less units than were there. And there was, you know, kind of um, some displacement of the, of the tenants who were, who were there. Um, curious if, you know, kind of the no net loss. At the time I asked Netta about it, she said no net loss at the state level didn't apply in that project. I'm curious, you know, if, if no net loss wasn't, has been in effect for several years, was that because it was a renovation instead of a demolition? Um, or, you know, was that because it was in the state code but not in our city code? Or I guess why, why did it not apply to that project? Do you know? Let me look into it. Okay. I don't know about that project, but let me look into that. And that's something that we can specifically highlight at the next meeting. Great. Thank you. Uh, that's all my questions. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner McCarty? I have a number of questions and comments, but I think I'll, I'll hold off and Till there's till we go through the public, see if there's any public comment or discussion on this item. Okay, um, I guess we can come back to staff. Sure. Any other questions? Yes, Commissioner Farley. Hi, um, I wanted to ask a, a question about the carve out on the 20% under 24.446. Um, effectively, that applies to those projects that are identified in the housing element that we rezoned, and some of those that were on the housing element before. And then B applies to any other project that does 20%. Is there a specific reason of calling out those particular provisions if the requirement is basically the same for all of them? So if you decided that uh, you wanted to move forward with um, allowing any 20% of lower income project to go forward with ministerial, we would probably just have that one line and take out the other provisions. Um, since we're offering that up as an optional provision that may or may not remain, uh, we'll adjust as, as needed. So either that line comes out or the first two come out, and then it's all 20% projects. I assume there was some logic to it, and I just wanted to But clarify. thank you for bringing that up, because that is something that we will need to, I, I mean, we could leave all of them, but mm -hmm. it would allow us to just clean it up a little if we picked one or the other. I would prefer, if it were me, that it be simplified if we go that direction, just because it would be confusing to folks to figure out how they are in those particular areas, personally. Absolutely. Um, and then I had a question. Do we have any low barrier um, shelters or facilities in town yet? Not that I know of. No. So this provision would make that easier for those to go in. Absolutely. I think those are my questions right now. Thank, Thank you. you. Vice Chair. Thank you. Um, I just had a couple quick questions just to make sure I understand everything. In the staff report on page two, there's a statement the city of Ventura's arena allocation for the 2021-2029 planning period is 5310. Um, however, cities are required to provide a buffer of approximately 20%. So just remind me, is that 20% additive onto the 5310? So you, it ends up being whatever that yeah, so basically the state gives you your arena allocation and then they say, wait, but you know, not every property is going to actually redevelop, so they really want that buffer to give you room for some people to not take any action since generally that doesn't happen on every site. Right, okay. 
And then um, on page three, under the program 15, by right approval of affordable housing, I just was curious as to the eight-year objective, but then by the end of 2023, so I don't, I don't understand what, what the eight-year objectives are. I mean, these two objectives were the eight-year objectives? That's correct. So basically, what the housing element requires is that you have all your objectives for that eight-year period, but then one thing that changed in this last housing element is they wanted you to be really specific about what year you're actually taking action. So that's why they both kind of got pushed to the beginning. You'll see a lot of these zone text amendments that are in the housing element be identified as 2023. I think we were really excited about getting certified in 2022 and not July or August of 23. So some of those are gonna roll further out. And basically every year we report to the state how far we've gotten with each of those individual objectives. And they've said there's a point that if you're not taking action that they will help us take action. So we are definitely on the hook to complete all of those. Okay. And then under the low barrier navigation center, and honestly for the other standard requirements that you've spoken about for various um, development, um, you know, you're, you're, we keep talking about if they meet certain requirements or this, you know, a long list of standard requirements. And so would we know what those are? Like for example, if we decide to go down the route of 20% um, across the board, would, you know, is there any discussion prior to codifying that about what those requirements are that they would have to meet? Sure, so those are the requirements that are on the books today. Basically, anything that's objective can apply, right? So we can certainly give an example of kind of here's the long list of things, but it's basically everything in the code that's a shall statement. So any suggested design things wouldn't apply, but any sort of um, you know, setback, for example, or any other um, objective requirement would apply for those projects. So does that mean, uh, I'm just trying to understand fully, does that mean that any variances and things like that are just, they're all ministerially dealt with? No, so if they wanted to get a variance, they would still need to go through that process and they wouldn't be ministerial anymore. So they would need to be code compliant projects. So they would have to comply with every setback, every parking requirement. And once you step outside of that, then you lose that ministerial approval and now it kicks in a variance or modification or whatever mechanism we have in the code um, in order to basically stop someone from kind of doing anything, right? Thank you. Any other questions? Commissioner McCarty. I'll, I'll go with one question to follow on to your answer to Vice Chair Lagerquist. So, for instance, um, these, these approvals would not supersede or waive any current height standards that we have in, uh, that are, we're currently zoned for. Is that correct? Absolutely, that's correct. Okay. So again, they would still be allowed to get potential height increases per density bonus law, but that's all on our books as well. So as long as they met our requirements, but if they, for example, wanted to um, you know, get a height variance um, or they wanted to build no parking or some other provision that really took them away from our standards, they would be going to a public hearing for, um, for a variance or something else like that. Okay, thank you. Um, exempt from uh, ob uh, objective or subjective design guidelines, through the course of time, there's been discussion about uh, 
amending or improving that citywide. Where do we stand on that? Because if we're going to recommend that we take that tool away, um, we want to make sure that we have a good guardrails uh, on design for these things. Where do we stand with that? Um, I, I don't believe that we've made any progress with establishing those in terms of additional ones. I mean, we have quite a robust set of standards on the books today, I would say, comparatively to some of our neighbors. I think we can certainly take a look at um, expanding those. And I think that's been in the plans for quite some time. It's a function of staff and resources. Yeah, I think about a year ago we discussed that. And we were hoping to come to some conclusion by the end of this year. I understand time gets away from us, but that's a concern of mine. That's something that I can definitely get into a little bit more for our next meeting and give an example of, okay, let's say we had a 20-unit apartment building that met these requirements. Here's the, like, here's the types of standards that they'd be subject to in these various places and give an example to kind of show you here's the framework regulatory-wise to, you know, for design standards, and then we can talk about the gaps that are missing, you know, what topics aren't, aren't objective and are still subjective that we might want to look at. And so that could potentially help us segue into those changes for the future and get, like, narrow it down a little bit more from all of you. Right. That would be appreciated. Um, is, there's no rush on this. We're not having a meeting next month, so this isn't going to go to council until 24 anyway. That's correct, yes. Very good. All right. and, and again, we'll come back to you first before we would go to council. Okay. Any further questions at this? Yes, Commissioner Abbey. Um, could you, Rachel, could you, or, or Jamie, could you describe what is a low barrier navigation center? Sure. So I have a definition I can throw up. But basically, it's a site that... Um, it's considered a housing first uh, shelter that basically helps people get into permanent housing. So they have case managers on site, people who are experiencing homelessness can come in and get kind of a variety of services on site. So there could be health services, shelter, housing, public benefits, income help. And then basically when they call it a low barrier center, it basically utilizes these um, best practices that help this process. So they're required to have this information system on site that checks people in and kind of helps keep track of the various clients that are on site and helps move them into this permanent housing and it's kind of like a match system. Um, there's also um, requirements that they have connected services on site and um, like I said, the homeless management information system as well as a coordinated entry system for allowing people to access the space. It basically creates these few standards that um, allows people to establish these types of shelters specifically so that we can actually transition people into full-time housing. A lot of times we have shelters that their main purpose is just shelter and so they're not able to provide that stepping stone for people to propel them into their next place and a more permanent place, which we know is the true solution to helping people who are experiencing homelessness, is to give them a key and that's it. And so ultimately that's what these do. Okay, how does that um, interface or work with existing, for example, uh, P4.9 on Victoria, whatever, uh, three, if it's three-story is the standard, does this provision 
allow it to be bigger than three story? No, so basically what this does is it talks about the use itself. All of the standards that you have within each zone district will still prevail. So height and size and all the things that make the box um, will still apply. And then this just allows you to have this type of use within that box of the building, right? So none of the development standards will change, just the ability to get these uses in these locations as a ministerial approval. As far as affordable housing, units uh, how does this how is this interpreted are these un, are these units the low barrier navigation centers are housing first shelters they're actually not considered units for arena purposes so shelters actually live outside of our arena calculation or dwelling units since they're not individual housekeeping units it's more like uh it, or it could be but it's more typically kind of common element space where you have one kitchen or one set of bathrooms or that sort of thing with more shelter focused um, kind of open floor plan again it could be individual units but it doesn't have to be but we wouldn't count we wouldn't allow them to count because it's not permanent housing the same way that student housing it does not count towards rena okay well, so fun fact. it's not any type of inclusionary housing that's correct so then there's no it's not a dwelling unit so it doesn't require affordable housing and it doesn't count as affordable housing thank, thank you for explaining that all right uh, Vice Chair, please. Uh, could you walk through the whole integrating it into the coastal permit program again? <laughs> sure. So this is, um, I'll give you a little extra background. Um, our, in 1999, we redid our zoning ordinance and that got certified by the Coastal Commission. So we know as of 1999, that was our implementation plan. Um, and this is an example number, this is an exact, let's say we've amended the, or the zoning regulations 20 times since then, we'll call it once a year on average, 24 times, whatever it is. Only a few of those went to the Coastal Commission for certification by omission, by mistake, by who knows. It's been many, many years, so these things didn't happen. So ultimately now, we have two different living documents. We have our zoning or ordinance, and then we have this implementation plan, which should match, but it's a few ordinances behind. So some of what you'll see in the um, proposed amendments are really just to catch us up and catch up one version with the other. Um, ultimately, after the, should the council adopt these regulations, they will also um, adopt a resolution that requests that staff uh, um, apply for a local coastal program amendment. We then take all of the, um, the changes to our implementation plan, so it looks slightly different than the zoning ordinance, it's a slightly different version of this, and submit that to the Coastal Commission. And ultimately, this will get reviewed by the Coastal Commission themselves um, for approval. And so then the, the, our code allows any changes that are made by the Coastal Commission to go straight back to council and skip planning commission. If they were substantial enough that it ma massively changed things, we would come back to you. But otherwise, it just goes back to, to council for their final stamp of approval. And then those changes and those regulations can be administered in the coastal zone. 
That being said, these are a little different because these are already state law. So we are obligated under state law to enforce these regulations. The same way they're not in our zoning ordinance, they're not in our coastal program yet, but we can, um, we can require all of these things because they're required of us under state law. So the, the basic idea is to kind of move us from 1999 to the present? Not in this one step, but in the next few steps, yes. So you'll actually see a number of zone text amendments come back to you that you've already seen, already made recommendations on, and council has already adopted. But because it's been so long, the Coastal Commission is requesting that we go back and treat them as brand new because the reality is the public should have the opportunity to weigh in and expect that there could be changes made based on their comments, based on your comments. So they may change slightly as we move forward to, to reconcile, but it is a process. Um, and the good news is, again, we'll be doing this probably for the next few years. And in the meantime, we'll adopt a new general plan. We'll establish a new zoning ordinance based on that general plan. And then all of those things will go to the Coastal Commission. So at some point in the next five years, we should be all aligned. Thank you. So that's positive. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's move to public comment. Do we have public speakers? Thank you, Chair. We do have four speakers on this item. Very good. Let me open the uh, public hearing and bring the first up, please. Our first speaker is Karen Flock, followed by Judy Alexander. Good evening, members of the Planning Commission. My name is Karen Flock. I am the with the Housing Authority of the City of San Buenaventura. I'm the Real Estate Development Director. So um, we really appreciate the city staff moving forward with the programs that were identified in the housing element. This is great. And these proposals will help to increase the supply of affordable housing through the buy right and streamlining provisions. And just as an example, um, we have a project that's currently in the pre-application stage um, we need to get our discretionary approvals by June of next year in order to apply for state multifamily housing program funding. And this is a project that doesn't fit into some of the boxes because it does have a couple of unrestricted apartments in order to meet the needs of some of our public housing residents who are no longer low income. Um, so I think this could be something really helpful. Um, I have a slight concern. I may, I may not totally understand proposals, but by going straight to building permit, we'd want to make sure that we are, you know, meeting the planning requirements. So we just want to make sure that we don't get ahead of ourselves. Um, again, thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Flock. Our next speaker is Judy Alexander, followed by Sonia Flores. And Judy, you should be able to unmute yourself right now. Hi, I'm Judy Alexander, and I'm chair of the Ventura Social Service Task Force. And first, I want to say thank you to staff. You have worked really, really hard, um, and we appreciate the work that you've done. The kinds of recommendations that are before you, and there are numerous, um, are consistent with the housing element that had been approved both by the Planning Commission and by City Council. So. Speaking for Homes for All and for the Ventura Social Service Task Force, 
We want to support the implementation and are excited that you are now beginning to implement that housing element and we appreciate your work. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Alexander. Our next speaker is Sonia Flores, followed by Tanner Shelton. Sonia, you should be able to unmute yourself. Great, okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Um, good evening, planning commissioners. My name is Sonia Flores. I'm a resident of the city of Ventura, and I'm also a member of Homes for All. And I just wanna echo what Karen Flock said and also what Judy Alexander said. And just wanna thank the staff um, again for working you know, with all the different um, all the different advocacy groups and affordable housing developers and making sure that you're moving forward with implementing what was what was promised and uh, and agreed to in the housing element. Um, and secondly, I would like to ask uh, that there be more clarity specifically on the exemption and the concurrent review process that is mentioned in the zone text amendment that is connected to the exemption from planning review for projects that are number one, have 20% of the units set aside for affordable to lower income households on housing element sites, and number two, to projects that have 20% of the units set aside for affordable to lower income households on any site that allows multifamily housing. What we wanna know is exactly what type of objective or codified standards will the staff process be based on? Um, but again, thank you again for all the work that you've put into this point and just for moving forward on the, on the programs. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Our next speaker is Tanner Shelton. Tanner, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hi there, uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you. Great, hi, my name is Tanner Shelton. I'm a consulting land use planner uh, for both uh, developers and for uh, contract work for no local municipalities, but tonight I'm speaking uh, my own thoughts as a citizen of Ventura. Uh, I really wanna thank staff for the proposed uh, uh, changes, the zone text changes here. These are really positive changes that bring our city's municipal code into alignment with uh, several critical state law provisions. Uh, I do wanna echo some of the concerns from the folks who spoke before me, particularly about the 20% affordable ministerial uh, processing option. Um, the concurrency with the building permit certainly would be welcome, but I'd just like to see a little more clarity around that process in terms of you know time frames and what standards uh developers will be held to things of that nature um one of the reasons why like sb35 is really helpful tool for developers is that law has really specific time frames for how long planning review process takes and uh what standards are going to be held to it would be great if we could see something similar uh regarding the 20 percent affordable ministerial processing uh, by right, uh, just including that language and making it more clear uh, when you do move forward with this in the future. Um, the only other comment I had is it would be great to include some of the new 2024 legislation in the zone text amendment update, uh, notably SB4, which is uh, by right processing for affordable housing on uh, religiously owned properties on churches on church on property and things of that nature. Um, that being said, thank you so much, staff, for your work on this, and I'm supportive of these changes. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Shelton. Thank you, Chair. That concludes our public speakers for this item. Thank you. All right, Commissioners. Uh, I believe uh, Commissioner McCarty had a series of questions you wanted I, to ask. I, I, do have, I do have a couple of questions. Um, regarding uh, specifically Exhibit A, the proposed zone text amendments, is it possible to, to bring those up? 
on screen or, uh, or, or no? No? It is not. Okay. So one of the sections, 24.501, has to do with administrative permits, and it's, it provides a process for reviewing the administrative permit applications. So can you clarify for me what administrative, what specifically is, is meant by administrative permits in this section? So in this section, administrative permit is a, a term that we're only using to describe the permit that we would issue for SB 35 projects. So it's ministerial in nature. Uh, there are, I know someone um, from the public mentioned this, that there are a number of requirements for SB 35 exactly for timeframes and things like that. Basically, they would submit an application for an administrative permit. Staff has 30 days to respond um, with any requirements that need to be met and ultimately has a certain number of days to approve the entire um, permit. And I apologize because my computer um, just completely crashed and I'm trying to close things and open other, <laughs> other items so I can read it for you. Um, but basically, it establishes the permit process that um, allows us to administratively and specifically ministerially approve SB 35 projects. So it says, if you meet all of these requirements, and that's in the applicability section, then we can issue this permit. So it's a little bit different if we wanted um, and a ministerial permit overall, we could use this same framework and say this is a ministerial permit for all planning projects that are allowed to be ministerially approved. We would just take out the SB 35 applicability and create its own section and say, if you meet these requirements, you can have this administrative permit. Everything is objective. There's no special conditions that aren't already codified. And this is where, for our next meeting, I'll come back and give you kind of a sample project. And here's all the things we would use to evaluate that project. So everything has to be a yes or no. Do you meet the standard or not? OK. Um, that being said, in, the, in this section, under administrative permits, I, I found it very confusing to read because the major subsection is applicability. And it says, when required, an administrative permit shall be required for any one of the following. And then there's a long list. So the, the text, an administrative permit shall be required. Help me understand exactly what that means. Does that mean we have to administratively approve this, the, the proposed project? Yeah, so, and I see the language choice there could be improved, so I'll work on making sure that that's clear. If you meet these requirements and you apply for an administrative permit, the city is required to give you an administrative permit and, and approve that administrative permit. Okay, so for instance, it says an administrative permit shall be required for any of the following, and one of them is the site is zoned for residential or residential mixed use or the project site has a general plan designation that allows residential use or a mix of residential and non-residential. So that's, that's, that statement should really be read completely different and say, if you meet all of these requirements, you are, and every single one, you are eligible to apply for an administrative permit. Okay, instead of any of the following. Right, and then towards the end where it talks about review, it's if you meet all those requirements, the city shall issue you an administrative permit. 
Okay, so meeting any of them is completely different from meeting all of them. Right, it's okay. truly all of them. Thank you for that. That's okay. an important well, that distinction. Threw me. Now I understand. Um, let's see. At one point in the text, there is a reference to the design review subcommittee. I think you might mean design review committee, unless there is a specific design review subcommittee that's being referenced here? That's an error, I apologize. Okay. I'll make sure it says design review committee. Okay. Um, later on in the, in the document, under inclusionary, what used to be inclusionary housing program, now it is chapter 24.444. Under purpose and intent, it says, ensure the development and availability of decent, affordable housing to a broad range of households, et cetera, et cetera. Um, affordable housing is well-defined. Decent housing, to my knowledge, is not defined. So my question here, and it might be for, for council, is, is it prudent and wise to use an undefined term of decent housing in this binding document is? I will say the intent of the regulations is not regulatory in nature, and Chris can maybe jump in on this, that um, you know we're talking about the intent of the regulations, but it, we wouldn't go back and say, well, this is or isn't decent. I think part of what the regulations does is make sure that you're building, especially for replacement, building um, units that are um, similar or better than previous, uh, similar in size or larger than previous, and then similar in nature under certain circumstances and different levels um, to the, the market rate units as well. So I think that's where that comes from. Would you see any issue with having that term in there as part of the intent? It's, it's potentially um, ambiguous uh, and could theoretically lead to some kind of problems. I would think there are any number of ways to clarify that. Um, you would just need to make a more precise uh, definition, something you know, uh, comparable to market rate units, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, yeah. I, I fully agree that decent housing is a noble and proper goal, but it could, the fact that it's in this document as an undefined term might cause problems, so thank you. Yeah, and just as a general rule, uh, lawyers prefer defined terms yeah. to undefined terms, so I agree with yep. that point. Yep. So, so though, Rachel, thank you very much. Those are my comments regarding the, uh, the text of the proposed zone amendments. But I do have one other comment. In, in the staff report analysis, um, it, it refers at one point to table B18 and B19 of the technical background, background report for the housing element. So when I went looking for table B19, I mistakenly went to table B19 in the technical background report. And while I was there, I happened to notice a couple of math calculation errors in table B19 in the technical background report. If you are interested in having a completely accurate technical background report for the housing element, let me know and I'll point those out to you. I would love for you to email them to me, yeah, and we can talk about them too. And, uh, but thank you. Okay. It's very detailed of a review, so I appreciate your eye. Thank you for the great job on putting all this together. Thank to you. you and staff. Thank you. Further comments or questions for staff? 
Commissioner Zucker. Yes. Um, is this the point where we'd want to make kind of general general comments? So, so am I right in understanding that you don't want kind of us to make a motion today that would happen in January, but you're you're wanting kind of general guidance? Is that? Yeah, I mean, certainly, if you feel really moved to make a motion to the city council, you're more than welcome to or prepped to. But uh, but we wanted to come back to answer some of these broader questions. I mean, I think that if you had thoughts on allowing overall 20% of units to be ministerial versus that narrow list, that's something we'd love to hear now, too. Great, great. Um, yeah, well, I can get, share my overall perspective I mean I, I think there's there's a value to the across the board you know 20% um, uh, low-income ministerial um, you know I think as as was pointed out uh, you know it, it's not going to allow projects that have you know serious discrepancies with our zoning code to just move through but but it you know it kind of streamlines the process for things that that are in compliance with our our rules that you know, my experience has been on the Planning Commission, typically if something is really in compliance with, with the city code, there's not much the Planning Commission can do about it anyway, right? And so, um, you know, that, that may just allow more housing and more particularly affordable housing to, to get on the ground faster that would likely be just approved at, at Planning Commission. Um, they... Um, you know, I, I'd be curious, though, to hear what others think about it. And, and it did seem like several of our public commenters, even ones that broadly uh, supported the idea, um, did have questions about details. And so it seems like, you know, it would be wise for us to, to devil's always in the details, right, to, to figure those things out. Um, the, um, the, the other piece I wanted to, to you know, give a, give a thought to and would be curious what others would think about this was maybe... Um, potentially recommending an expansion of the no net loss uh, provision to, to beyond what the state requires. Um, I'm thinking back to that that uh, project that um, came before us earlier this year in downtown that, um, you know, at the at the time at that meeting, I just left that meeting with, with a pit in my stomach, um, you know, knowing that there were folks who were, you know, likely very low income, you know, potentially, you know, the, the type of people who can be on the on the brink of homelessness that were losing their homes. And there wasn't really much we could do about it in our codes, it seemed like, from, you know, what um, what I was hearing from staff. And I, um, that's why I was curious about kind of the, the difference. I mean, is it maybe because that was a renovation and not a demolition that that didn't fit in the definition of, of the state's known at loss requirements? Um, but whatever that discrepancy might be, like, say, if it was because it was a renovation, you know, could we say our no net loss program in Ventura should include renovations and demolitions, right? Um, so just wanted to throw that out there, you know, see what, see what other folks think about it. I mean, you know, the, the state is, what the state's requiring us to do is, you know, here, and, but, you know, um, we are allowed to have our own, you know, local policies. And so um, I think no net loss is really valuable. And as we see, it's already starting to bubble up in our community. Um, and so, you know, how can we make that as strong as we can? Thank you for your comments. Any comments on that or further comments? Yes, Commissioner Farley. Um, I agree uh, on the 20% across the board. Um, I do want to point out in one place it says deed restricted, but in other places it doesn't. Um, knowing that these could easily transition, I think it would be important that if we are going to mandate that, you know, with 20%, you're giving a great benefit to the community that it needs to remain for a certain period of time on all of these um, properties in question. 
Um, if there's any sort of you know concern about doing this across the board, maybe that number for those areas could be slightly higher. But I, I agree, 20% is I think a sufficient number um, in any property that's multifamily. So I agree with that. Um, I also would like to revisit the no net loss conversation, especially when we're losing units that are for very low, extremely low incomes. Um, I would be curious to know why those things weren't being protected in the first place. Um, that was a concern for me before as well. Um, but I also agree with coming up to state code um, on some of these things. I do wish that we would have a little bit of a conversation about any of the non-objective design standards that might be applicable that might need to be addressed. Um, because I think those are the things that neighbors and the community are going to be most concerned about are places where design is talked about. And if those are things that we can tighten up, I would prefer that now versus two years from now when we're seeing projects slide through the cracks. That's it. Very good. Thank you. Other questions, comments? Vice Chair. Um, just wanted to speak on some of those subjects. Um, as far as the 20%, I think I would support it, but I would agree that we need to have a little more detail um, and understand those objective requirements and all the requirements are required. And I was impressed that the um, public speakers who are all um, pro-housing were also concerned about those items. And, and I feel like uh, as, as, as we represent the public and we have a vocal public regarding how the city is um, developed and designed, you know, we kind of owe it to get more details before we pass that 20% across the board. So I would, so I think I would need more information before we go forward with that. As far as the no net loss discussion, I agree. I think we, there's more discussion to be had there. Um, and, and then it kind of falls back on the whole decent discussion, which is, you know, and how do we guarantee that when we have a no net loss that these, these uh, replacement units are are, are as nice or as big or bigger and you know we don't want developers coming in and saying okay we have 10 affordable housing units and so we're going to make those really small in the replacement so that we can create more space for others and things like that so you know how do we how do we do that to to um, ensure that the affordable housing is equal or better those are my thoughts thank you Okay, I have uh, two comments. How do we track uh, affordable housing, the continuum of, the continuation of affordability? Um, let's say someone were to move out. What checks and balances do we have that a landlord doesn't automatically go to market rate? You know, honestly, I, I can't speak to the city of Ventura's mechanisms that we have in place on the ground to make sure that that happens, um, but we do. Let me come back to you in January and we can really talk through kind of how that works. Um, but basically, we have a pretty extensive tracking system. It's deed restricted on the site. We, keep, we feed them tenants, but I'll get you details so that okay. we can talk through that. I'd appreciate that. And. Uh, Public speaker, uh, Mr. Shelton, uh, brought up SB4 uh, by right of guarding uh, religious properties. Would now not be a good time to include that in the package? There are so many to include. I have to be totally honest that this is a spec of regulation changes that we need to make. So absolutely, would this make sense? Yes. That one's actually not technically on the books yet. It oh. will go into effect in January. It is a new... 
um, a new law that was adopted and signed by the governor this fall and basically um, would allow for sites to have by right um, affordable housing on existing religious and educational sites. So this actually, you we may see some projects that fall under this very soon, sooner than when we could get something on the books, but it is absolutely something that we'll need to change our regulations for. Okay. And I think we'll be very positive for those types of projects as well. Yeah, this seems to be a trend throughout the state I've seen, and I wanna encourage it because that's a real opportunity. Those are my comments. Okay, with that, I think we're going to, to uh, need a motion to continue this until January. Would someone like to make that motion, please? I'll, I'll move, I'll, I'll make the motion to uh, continue this until our January meeting. Very good, and a second? And I'll second it. All right, Vice Chair seconds. Further discussion? All right, let's vote. We have a motion to continue this item to January. You may now enter your vote. All votes have been entered. Six ayes. All right. Very good. Um, let's move to staff communication. Hi there. Good evening. Here I am again on another table. Uh, thank you so much. Happy holidays to everyone here, those of you in the audience, those of you watching at home. Um, we are canceling our December meeting. Um, it is quite late in the year, and so that meeting is being canceled, so when we adjourn today, we will adjourn to our January meeting. Uh, we did adopt a new schedule for the 2024 year, so we'll include that in future packets as well. So for our first meeting in 2024, there'll be a list in that agenda that shows the meetings for the whole year, so people can get those on your calendar. Um, uh, that is really it. Um, so thank you so much, and happy holidays. Thank you. Would you like to update us uh, staff-wise on what's going on with the planning department? Sure. So um, right now, uh, Netta is taking some time off. So as a result, um, I will be serving as the interim director in her stead. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Commissioners, anything uh, for the good of the? Yes. Commissioner Zucker. Thank you, Chair. Um, I just wanted to speak for for a minute about the um, industrial zoning issue at uh, you know that came up in the general plan since um, you know I was I was gone for the last two meetings and at that that meeting um, I guess it was in September um, you know when we discussed it here I, I watched it you know and other other commissioners said that they wanted to to hear some my perspective and um, so you know just want to share I mean some of this may echo what what other folks have said but. Um, you know, I think policymaking always involves hard choices, um, and those choices often make, you know, some constituency or, or another unhappy, and I don't think that always means, you know, is the wrong choice, but, um, but that that is part of the policymaking process. I thought that we had a very thoughtful conversation, took a very measured approach, um, and that, unfortunately, I think some of the nuances of what we were recommending to council were kind of lost in the, the heated debate that ensued. Um, I, you know, I do, uh, you know, as, as some of the fellow commissioners, you know, mentioned, want to push back a bit on the assertion um, that that came from some folks that it was, it was kind of too sudden. The process was was rushed. I mean, um, this issue has been discussed for for several years now, and um, you know, planning commission, uh, you know, about two years ago, recommended to uh, to council to 
create a buffer zone ordinance for, for heavy industrial, and, and that was actually noticed to every industrial business on the west side at the time. I remember, you know, I, I went with, um, with Peter Gilly to, you know, speak at the west side community council about it, meet with, you know, some of the, the business groups that were, that were kind of, you know, organizing around the issue. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly believe that, that people were aware of this. I mean, it was in the general plan survey and, um, you know, and, and several speakers at the, at the time at the meeting. I mean, the, the Chamber of Commerce, their comments were entirely about industrial zoning, um, not housing development, which was kind of the other, you know, big, big topic of the day. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly feel like those, you know, those who were connected to the issue were, were pretty well, well aware. Um, and I think ultimately is our policymaking process, right? Our job is to make recommendations to, to council, um, you know, several of which made modifications from what the GPAC recommended to us. And, you know, that's our, our prerogative, just as prerogative of other people to disagree with those recommendations and ultimately councils where the final, final decision lies, um, you know, when where everyone's able to, to have their say. And so um, I'll, I'll just end by saying I do feel strongly that this issue is not going away. Um, the issue of incompatible land use is on the west side. and um, you know, even if you know this ultimately didn't didn't shake out, I, I really look forward to working with different stakeholders to develop, um, you know, a policy that reflects the needs of both you know residents and businesses on the west side. Um, and I'm hoping that we'll benefit from staff who um, you know have more of the the expertise and research capacity and all that to um, you know develop some analysis and some recommendations for us to to look at in the future. Hopefully through the through the general process, plan process as that moves forward. To figure out, you know, how we how we really make some progress on this issue. Thank you. Thank you for those comments. Uh, we did miss you during that conversation, and I'm glad you added them now. Commissioners, any other comments? Okay. Well, I, oh, Commissioner Abbey. Um, on Friday, there's a Christmas tree lighting um, ceremony in front of the mission. I'm not sure if it starts at 5:30 p.m. or 6. But if they're early, it's usually crowded. It'll be different. Uh, Coral groups there, I'll be part of one and hope to see you all there, thank you. Very good, thank you. Well, uh, this being our last meeting of the year, I wanna thank um, the community for being engaged and involved. It's, it's nice being in a community where people really care and voice their opinions and think about things deeply. It adds to the conversation, it adds to the result, and it makes for a better city. So thanks to the community. Thanks to the staff for all your hard work under unusually difficult circumstances. And commissioners, thank you for your time and effort. As volunteers, I'm in, I continue to be impressed by the amount of depth that you put into your considerations, questions, and, and decisions. So thank you for what you do, and I look forward to working with you in the new year. With that, we are adjourned. Thank you. Yeah.